please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. So this is a first for me. I hope it's a first for you too. I'm sure it is. So thank you to my two sons, Jordan and Tucker, for filming this tonight. Thank you for all our staff and our team who are here tonight with us. I am attorney Greg McIntyre, uh, and I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney. I'm here with attorney Brenton Begley, uh, also an elder law and estate planning attorney. Um, and, you know, obviously we're on 88.1 FM. I'd like to just make a short announcement. If you have your headlights on, please turn them off. It will affect the viewing of the screen. Um, so anyway, I find this just ridiculously cool that we are doing dinner, a short seminar, followed by the movie Call of the Wild, which I know my children, I have all six of my children here tonight, and they are excited to see it. Taylor, your little girl's here tonight too, isn't she? She is. She is? Great, great. So we're going to get started. This is our Are You Ready Estate Planning Seminar. You know, if I told you that there was going to be a global pandemic that shut down the economy, that threatened lives, and kept people at home. If I told you that six months ago, would you believe me? No, absolutely not. I bet nobody in this room, nobody at this drive-in theater would have believed me. When I tell you that planning and estate planning is important, it is, because you never know what can happen. Anything can happen, and you want to be prepared. So the Are You Ready Estate Planning Seminar, that's what we're going to talk about is being prepared with your hard-earned money and property uh, and uh, protecting that for future generations, as well as having control yourself during your life. So, Britton, if you want to take us through the next slide, um, our, our firm is? Yeah, so we're McIntyre Elder Law, and there's a reason why we named the firm McIntyre Elder Law, right? Mm -hmm. And so, well, I mean, you named the firm, right? So I did. Named it Elder Law, sure. right? And is Elder one of us, or, or is our last name Elder? No, but right. some people think it is. Exactly. So right. Elder is not one of the partners. Um, it's not one of the attorneys that works in the firm. It's not even the firm mascot or dog that we own. It means that we focus on one type of law, and that is Elder Law, because we want to help people protect their hard-earned money and property. And that's something that we want to focus on and not spread that focus to anything else. So we decided to just focus on elder law and not anything else, and we reflected that in the name of our firm. So my name is Britton Begley, and I am uh, an attorney who has um, not only done elder law, but also family law and criminal law. And I'll tell you what. Elder law has been the most rewarding thus far. Sure. Because I really feel like, you know, I'm able to help people. And, and maybe the most complex. Right. Yeah, maybe the most complex as well. And it's an ever-changing landscape of government rules um, and benefits, uh, from veterans benefits to Medicaid benefits for long-term care to changing tax rules. Um, there are rule changes all the time uh, that we try to keep abreast of and advise our clients about so so uh, you know when I named the firm McIntyre Elder Law it was as much to keep me on track 
so that I didn't take other cases just, and a signal to everybody else what we do. So, the next one. thank you. So getting right into it, we are about helping people, okay? And I also like doing presentations. So if you have a question tonight during our presentation, please text us. Text Taylor at 704. Taylor, what's that number? 704-740-5576. 704-740-5576, as you see up on the screen right now. If you text your questions to that number, then we will answer your questions during this presentation, okay? We wanna give you a chance to interact and do that. The best presentations that I give is where I get to interact with the people that we're talking to. So we love helping people. That's what I feel like we get to do as elder law attorneys. I don't know about you, what you did for a living, um, but I'm sure that you help people during your life and you felt better when you did it. No matter what you do, you feel better at the end of the day if you help someone. If I if I help someone pay for long-term care, or maybe protect assets, protect a house, um, save a house for the family, that makes me feel really, really good at the end of the day, and that's what we're able to do. So, this is a little bit about my why. One of the reasons that I started the firm and took a keen interest in elder law is because my grandfather, Worth McIntyre, spent around 14 years in an assisted living facility. And it took literally every dime he had. And I never thought it was fair that you can earn, you know, work hard your whole life, earn money your entire life, and then lose literally everything at the end of your life because of a healthcare issue that is no fault of your own. So, you know, Worth worked hard. He was a tenant farmer, furniture maker, and, you know, was able to buy his own small farmhouse in Lattimore, North Carolina, and ended up really just losing everything at the end due to health care issues. And we try to help people avoid those things. If, if Worth would have had someone like Brenton or myself available, certainly uh, could have had a lot more options of protecting assets and, and uh, paying for long-term care. Um, also pictured up there is my family uh, and my beautiful wife there. Uh, and, and I love family, I love my family. When I'm working late at night, I don't know about you, it makes me feel better if I have purpose. And any job can be a job if you do it long enough and grind it out. So certainly thinking about my grandfather, Worth McIntyre, and my wife and six children helps me um, through the tough times and, and, and through the long hours. So, so, and gives me a passion for what I do. So, so anyway, so if you want to go to the next slide, um, I don't want to get, tear, I don't want to tear up here. <laughs> okay. So, Britton, I think we've hit the slide about the percentage of long-term care. Absolutely. So this is a very important slide because um, it's a very important statistic, right? right? So if I were to tell you that you had a 70% chance of needing to spend tens of thousands of dollars a month at some point in your life after you retire, you might want to plan for that, right? And most of our clients do want to plan for that, but they're not aware. 
that they have a 70% chance of needing some type of long-term care at some point in their lives. And that's a really big deal because it does cost anywhere from five to 10 to $15,000 per month. And if you're, you're someone who stays in for a while, maybe 14 years, right? Hopefully that's not the case, but it's a possibility. Um, you know, that, that could drain your, your whole estate and, and, and really take um, anything that you've saved for the next generation. And, you know, like you said, Greg, about your grandfather, that's just not fair. That's just not right. And there's got to be a better way. And Taylor, if you want to give us the next slide. Or Vanna White here. Thank you. Um, so there's got to be a better way, right? And there's many ways to protect property. There's many ways to plan for the future. But a lot of people kind of get ahead of themselves. And, you know, they, they come into the office and, um, you know, there's, there's a few things that they might ask for that they've heard of that might help them. And a lot of people are on, on the right track. And, um, you know, I'm impressed actually about how much information is out there and how much information my clients soak up before they come to me. Uh, but what I want to do for my clients is lay a good foundation because just like any good building, any good house, you need a good foundation to build upon. And so that's the foundational documents. So the foundational documents that, that we provide, we suggest that you have before you do anything else is going to be the general durable power of attorney, the healthcare power of attorney, the living will, and the last will and testament. And Greg, I'll let you begin. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so moving on to the general durable power of attorney. The general durable power of attorney or financial power of attorney, I like to refer to as probably the most important legal document you can have in your arsenal, okay? It's certainly the first foundational document. The reason I say that is when does a will have power? When does a will have power or effect? Only after you die only after you pass away. A general durable power of attorney is the document you have in your possession while you're alive that appoints a person, an agent, so to speak, to speak for you when you can't speak for yourself. So heaven forbid, if I had an accident on the way home and I was incompetent or incapacitated for an extended period of time, everything, every piece of real estate I own with my wife would be frozen. Any retirement accounts that were just in my name would be frozen. Any insurance policies that I had in my name taken out, even if she's the beneficiary, you might say, oh, but I'm the beneficiary. You know, I can access those. No, you can't. The beneficiary only has power or power or can get at that money if they're the beneficiary once somebody passes away. So therefore, you need some type of legal access and documentation to allow you to access someone else's finances to conduct real estate transactions for them. And why might you want to conduct a real estate transaction? Well, if I needed extensive long-term care, you know, or if there was bills to be paid that Steph needed to pay because maybe I'm not working, she could sell a piece of real estate to help pay for any of those things. Or she might want to put a protective deed on those properties, like a ladybird deed, a life estate deed, tenants in common deeds, other deed tools that we work with for specific reasons. She would be disallowed from doing that, not allowed, if 
uh, she did not have, if I did not have a, a document, a general durable power of attorney designating her my financial agent. And it needs to have a durability clause, a specific durability clause to make sure it survives incompetence or incapacity. Taylor and I like to call these the kitchen sink power of attorneys. Usually the saying is everything but the kitchen sink. This power of attorney includes the kitchen sink because we want to have everything in there. Uh, you know, I want my wife to be able to do everything I can do. I see powers of attorney, attorneys that are written in a restrictive manner all the time. I have clients that come to me and say, I already have a power of attorney. But when we really dig deep and look at it, the agent, the spouse, for instance, is barred from making any transactions or transfers that benefit themselves or it caps any gifts to the federal tax ex tax exemption that year, which would be like 15000 a year. Those can be very restrictive when you're doing Medicaid planning for long-term care or other types of planning. So you, power of attorney documents are not simple, and you need to take them seriously. They're probably the most important thing you can have in your arsenal. If you do not have a general durable power of attorney, the financial power of attorney, same thing. The world of the street is it's called the, the financial power of attorney, right? I call it a general durable power of attorney because it covers everything and it survives incompetency and incapacity. But if you don't have one in place, then you're leaving your relatives to pursue guardianship over you. And if they pursue guardianship over you, there's no guarantee that they'll be awarded guardianship by the courts. You can have family members fight you for guardianship. And if the family doesn't get along, what my experience tells me, because I've done a lot of these hearings and cases, is that they're going to appoint a third party, some attorney that you don't know over your estate, over your money and property. And then your spouse, for example, is going to have to try to beg that attorney for the way that money needs to be spent for you. Or you'll have to petition the court right even if you're the guardian to spend money other than just down on regular health care and food things like that so so if you want to really be in control and empower yourself you're going to put those foundational documents in place starting with the general durable power of attorney now we're going to go to the health care power of attorney which is totally separate than the general durable than that financial power of attorney a totally separate document and Britain's going to explain that Right, so the healthcare power of attorney is much the same thing, but for healthcare purposes. So, you know, you want someone to act on your behalf if you can. It's a big deal. That's one of the reasons why power of attorney exists in the first place, because if you are incompetent, incapacitated, or otherwise unable to act because of some type of debilitating illness, um, you want someone to be that trusted individual to make those decisions for you, especially with regard to your healthcare, because that's a pretty big deal. So if you need someone to make decisions with regard to procedures, medication, pain management, maybe even the ability to hire and fire medical staff, which can be very, very important if you're perhaps staying in a long-term care facility or in a hospital for an extended amount of time. Um, also the ability to access medical records. You know, the power of attorney, the healthcare power of attorney needs to be a HIPAA compliant document. And What's HIPAA mean? Right, so the it's Healthcare Information Portability Act, right? So that is a very, very important federal law that the states have um, to follow, right? And 
that is a law that basically says that you can't share information if it's medical information, um, you know, without permission. And so, a lot of people run into this. Maybe they're next of kin and they think they can make decisions. Maybe they think they can access medical records, but they don't have the authorization under HIPAA, that federal law, to be able to access those records. And so, what happens is they just they're stuck, right? They can't do anything. Um, so. The healthcare power of attorney needs to speak to that as well. And one thing that I've found that a healthcare power of attorney generally doesn't speak about that is very, very important is mental health decisions, right? So that's a different statute than the regular healthcare power of attorney. And, and that's very important to understand because just because someone's your healthcare agent for healthcare purposes doesn't mean that they can necessarily make mental health decisions for you. And I'm talking about medication, maybe treatments, or, you know, where you might end up as far as needing some type of mental health treatment. So when I'm, when I'm talking about mental health treatment, I'm not just talking about some type of depression. I'm not just talking about some type of anxiety. I'm talking about mental health decisions based on maybe dementia, Alzheimer's, or some type of other um, ancillary-caused illness from a, you know, some type of debilitating disease that you may develop in old age or just as a consequence of other, other sicknesses. So these things can be very important. What type of medication you're going to be on can be very, very important. I know I would not want to be on certain types of medication because of what it does to you, what it does to your mind, and I would like to be able to you know, know where I am, be cognizant of my surroundings, and um, even if I would have to suffer a little bit of pain, I'd rather be present in the moment than be, you know, in la-la land, right? So we don't want that for you. And if you want to be able to make those decisions and you can't, then someone needs to. And if someone can't make those decisions for you, someone can't make the healthcare decisions for you again, they're stuck, right? And they'll have to seek guardianship for you. And again, there's no guarantee that your family will be able to become your guardian for healthcare purposes, and it could be the state in that situation. So it's DSS that gets appointed guardian if the family does not. And you may be okay with that, um, but I wouldn't be. And I don't, I would assume that you wouldn't be. Yeah, the state's going to make the state's going to make all the right decisions for us, right? That's right. That's right. right. They have so far. Too. Yeah, they have so far, <laughs> especially during this coronavirus. That's thing, right. right? Oh, maybe I shouldn't say. That. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So, healthcare power of attorney is very, very important. I get the question all the time. You know, where does a healthcare power of attorney need to be recorded? It doesn't. So. The general durable power of attorney should be recorded at your county's register of deeds, and it needs to be recorded there to make the tr certain transactions under the power of attorney valid. It's just important that it's there, and you know, a lot of places just won't accept the power of attorney if it's not recorded. Okay, we're talking about the financial power of attorney here. If that's not recorded at the register of deeds, a lot of places won't accept it. They'll want to see that that recorded stamp at the top right of that document. This little barcode that says the deed. Uh, book and page, right, that the Register of Deeds gives it. So you want that there uh, because it makes it, for lack of a better term, more legit, right? So that's very, very important. And another question that I get all the time is, well, when should my power of attorney come into play? When should it be effective? 
And there's a couple options that you have, whether it's a healthcare power of attorney or a general durable power of attorney. It could become effective immediately, or it could spring forth when you need it. So when would you need it, right? When you become incompetent or incapacitated. So we call that a springing power of attorney. So the question still remains, what's better? Should it become effective immediately or should it spring forward only when I become incompetent or incapacitated? So the answer here is what I would advise is to have the power of attorney effective immediately. And here's why. So the power of attorney is a document that needs to be used immediately when you need it. Okay, it needs to be able to be used efficiently. So. If you're incompetent and incapacitated, and that's what's necessary to prove that your agent can act on your behalf, well then, how do you prove that you're incompetent? How do you prove that you're incapacitated, right? So you could have a physician, or maybe two physicians, confirm that that's the case, sign a written letter saying that you're incompetent and incapacitated and you can act on your own behalf, but I don't know, when the last time you try to get your doctor on the phone, but it's not really an easy thing to do, right? So that could take a long time, um, a lot longer than you want to when you're trying to use that power of attorney. The other thing is, is that it should become effective immediately because the person that you put in that position should be a trusted person. You shouldn't worry about what that person's gonna do if they have that power of immediately when, it, when it's signed. Right, so you need to pick the right person to, to act on your behalf, and that person's gonna have a fiduciary duty. So if they don't act on your behalf, okay, then um, in, in the right way and in good faith, then they face liability. Okay, so it's important to have that power of attorney take effect immediately. And I think I said enough about that. Okay. And moving on to the living will, which is really a nice companion with the healthcare power of attorney and named by some dumb attorney, okay? It's not about living and it's not a will that passes property. It might be your will while you're alive. This is my, what I want to happen, but it's better name a declaration for a desire for a natural death. A declaration for a desire for a natural death. The living will is your voice in the room when you are unable to speak. It is when you are, heaven forbid, terminal, incurable, in a persistent vegetative state and being maintained by respirators. I mean, you know, I, I think of a living will every time I turn on the TV and see, you know, the news. Um, and I see people on respirators. You know, if I were in a situation where I was brain dead, don't ask my wife because she might already tell you I am. I hope she's not listening right now. She is here tonight. But um, do I want to live that way, even though my mind's gone and the doctors tell me or tell my family that there's no chance of me recovering, that the only medical procedures that can be done to me are going to prolong my suffering. I have six beautiful children. You've seen some of them here tonight. And... I don't think that I want to put that decision squarely on their shoulders. So it's both a legal document that can waive liability for my healthcare agent that I appoint my healthcare power of attorney for following my wishes in the living will, but it's also a practical document 
to help my family in that hard family discussion and situation where they're in the hospital trying to decide literally whether to unplug dad or not, okay, and what to do. This is going to be a guiding hand for them and a real relief from a guilt-ridden decision that could last them for the rest of their lives. So that's what a living will is. More complex than you think. You can also put in religious requests. Um, you know, I, I write living wills all the time that, that, that want to, you know, a pastor or a priest you know, to come out and maybe counsel with the family, say whatever prayers, minister to the family, to myself and my family, if um, I'm in that situation before the living will is executed. I want my health care power of attorney to also say if there's a conflict between the living will and my health care agent, because maybe my health care agent says, you know, hey, I've known Greg for a long time, and I, we need to wait a few days, Doc. I want him to be able to do that and override that, that document, the living will. I don't want it to be a cold robotic document. Or maybe if the insurance companies are refusing to pay for something or a procedure that might help. I just want the human element to be in there. And if you have a living will, and a healthcare power of attorney, they need to be able to talk to each other and resolve those conflicts. So that's what a living will is, and that's why it's extremely important. And and, and some people swear by them um, and, and really, really want those in place if they're ever in that situation. A lot of people who have been through those family experiences already really uh, are sold on a living will and really want a living will. So now we're going to move on to an actual will, your last will in testament. Britain, what's a last will and testament? It sounds so final. Right, it does. It's the, it's the will we all know and love. So the last will and testament is your last wishes. So essentially what a last will and testament is, is a piece of paper that determines how your assets pass when you pass away. Okay? And, um, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, have a, have a deep appreciation for the last will and testament because it has a deep history and I'm a fan of history. And the will is, is a really amazing thing to sit and think about it because society has created a method by which individuals can leave behind property for their loved ones and um, it actually works out, right? It actually is a situation where you know property passes to the next generation and it's not just taken by the government, or at least that's how it used to be. And a lot of people still think that's how it is today. And the unfortunate part about it is a lot of people think that a will will cover them. But that is not the case, right? A will is a great thing, you should have a will. It is one of the foundational documents, and if you don't have anything else, then a will should certainly be in place, because otherwise, the state chooses what happens to your property, it passes by the state's will, and you don't want that to happen because you want at least to have some say in what happens to your property. But there are more efficient ways to pass property. Because what a will does is when you pass property by a will, it goes through what's called the probate process. This is a court-mandated process, okay? So you're dealing with a courthouse, dealing with clerks, and these are very smart, very good people, but they're bureaucrats and it takes a while, right? I don't know if you've ever done anything at the courthouse, but you probably didn't get it done in just a day, okay? So it, it can take a long time. There's lots of processes that you have to go through when you deal with probate. 
So it can be a long, expensive, and arduous process to have to go through, and it, it can extend the grieving period for the heirs as well, or the family. So it's just hard to deal with, and it can be best avoided, not only for those reasons, but also the fact that property can get taken in probate. Liens can attach to property. So if you have creditors at the time that you pass away, those creditors have the opportunity to attach liens to your property if that property is passing through probate. And when I say creditors, you might think to yourself, well, I pay my bills, right? I pay my bills every month, and I'm sure you do. And I'm not talking about your credit card bills here. I'm talking about medical expenses. I'm talking about long-term care. The, the things that wipe out an estate. The type of debt that's incurred right before someone passes away, which can be a very, very dangerous thing if you're trying to ensure that property passes to the next generation. So like I said, there's more efficient ways to pass property and at the same time protect property. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. We're gonna talk about passing the main asset that most people have their home and at the same time protecting it. So Greg. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about protecting your house. We must protect this house. I'm still amazed that I'm that big on the big screen. That's awesome. I love it. So if you have questions, please text Taylor at the number on your screen. If you have any questions, um, deed protection. Deed protection is an effective way to protect your home and other real estate. Taylor, if you could go to the next slide. What you could do is you could use quick claim deeds. Is that the slide we're on today? Yeah. We could use quick claim deeds. A quick claim deed would, Britain, I want to quick claim deed you my house. That Thank means you. I'm going to give you the house with fleas. You now have a house that has a mortgage on it, okay? If I had any liens against me, they would be attached to the house, right? Right. Plus, if I deed, let's say I deeded my children my house. Some days my children really, really love me. Some days they don't, okay? They still love me, but they might not like me, right? But the problem with deeding the children the house, and, and I, I know some families are different than others. I have experienced people calling upset because their child has thrown them out of the house, removed them from the house, or maybe have people over at the house that they don't want there. Maybe you're doing drugs in the house or other things. And I know this is not your family, but the point is when you give someone else your house, it's not yours anymore. And I don't want to think that we're in a society where we ask at what age should I give away my hard-earned money and property. I would say that when you're ready, if you want to give some gifts, fine. But one of our tenets of our practice is to keep you in control of your hard-earned money and property. Okay? So a quick claim deed would not allow you to do that. But it would get the house out of your name. But you're in danger because you don't own the house anymore. So, can we go to the next slide? Life estate deeds. So, we could do a life estate deed. A traditional life estate deed. A traditional life estate deed is a deed that keeps the property under your control during your life but then passes a future interest to, say, your children, for example, the grantees. 
A traditional life estate deed, though, if you want to sell your property, your children need to sign off on that deed for sale. So the children have what's called a power of appointment over that property. And they can, you know, if they don't agree to sell, the only thing you can sell is your life interest, which ends when you pass away. And it still goes to your children. But a lot of people want to do these types of deeds to protect them, avoid probate. A life estate deed does avoid probate. But they might be looking to say, you know, if I have a health care incident, that requires my assisted living or nursing home care, my long-term care, that I might want to access a benefit like Medicaid to pay for those things, and I want to make sure my property is protected. The life estate deed is great at doing that as well, but you have to put it in place outside of the look-back period for a Medicaid benefit that you're applying for to pay for long-term care. So the look-back periods are, from the date you apply, they look back so many years at all the transfers of deeds, so, so real estate, as well as any other money or investments. Three years if you're applying to have Medicaid pay for assisted living care. Five years if you're applying for Medicaid to pay for nursing home care. Therefore, you have to put that life estate deed in place on any properties outside of that window. To be effective. However, are we at the enhanced life estate deed, Ladybird deed? So, an enhanced life estate deed, nicknamed a Ladybird deed, allows for a, almost exactly the same thing as a life estate deed, except so it so it allows for the benefit of avoiding probate. It doesn't go through that will and probate process. And why that's important is where do liens attach, Britt? Probate. In probate. So that lien's going to attach when you probate a will or administer an estate without a will and you open it for say 90 days, publish it in the paper, and it's frozen for say 90 days until liens come in. Well, North Carolina, you know, the state would also file a lien on that estate for any Medicaid they had spent out, money they had spent out to pay for long-term care, which would force the sale of that home as it travels through your estate. Therefore, a life estate deed would bypass probate. So does a ladybird deed. But a ladybird deed allows you to sell your property or do anything with your property without the kids, the grantees, signing off. So you keep and retain full control. But it also avoids probate, remember. And for your home, only your home, it allows you to place that protective deed on your home, your primary residence, even within the look back period. So therefore, if I place one on this month and I applied for that long-term benefit next month, month Medicaid will still grant that benefit even though I just did it a month ago. Whereas with a life estate deed, would have had to have done it outside that three or five year window, depending on if I was applying for assisted living or nursing home care, Medicaid to pay for that care. How about that? So those are the different deeds. Medicaid is a hot topic, or um, I'm sorry, Ladybird deeds are a hot topic when it relates to Medicaid planning and, and protecting assets. So I wanted to run through that and tell you exactly how those work. So moving on. Now we're going to move on to other ways, which are trust, okay? And Brent's going to spend a few minutes 
telling you about trust. That's right. So, you know, I get I get questions about trust all the time because trusts are fundamentally misunderstood by by many people, and and for good reason because not a lot of people explain what trusts are very well, right? So let me try to take a crack at it. So there's two types of trust, okay? The first type is a revocable trust, and the second type is an irrevocable trust. The best way to think of a trust in general is a pot where you can put your stuff. And all of that stuff is consolidated into one pot, and that pot can be passed immediately to your beneficiaries upon your passing. So it avoids probing. This is obviously a great thing because we talked about how important that is to avoid probate and that process and the liens that attach in that process. So a revocable trust, okay, is a trust that you control, okay? You create the trust and you're the trustee of the trust and just give you a little bit of the nomenclature for trust, you are the grantor, the person who creates it, and the trustee, the person who manages it, okay? So as the trustee and the grantor, you have full power over that trust and you can take things out of the trust, you can put things in the trust as you wish. And because you have total control, right? And you own the trust, so therefore you own the assets that are inside the trust, okay? And none of that's removed from you. The important part to remember about the trust, okay, is it does avoid probate and allows you to creatively pass assets that you probably couldn't do otherwise. Let's say you have a life insurance policy and that might go to a child or a grandchild who may be you know, 18 years old, 20 years old, and that life insurance policy could be a substantial payout. And you, you would not want that life insurance policy to go straight outright to someone who's 18, someone who's 20 years old. Maybe you want to, to stay in the trust for their benefit, maybe for their education, maybe wait till they're 30 to get it. 35, 25, whatever it is that you wish for your loved ones, right? you can set that up with a trust. But the important thing to remember about that revocable trust is those assets are still in your name and they still count as assets that you have if you're trying to apply for Medicaid. So, if you're trying to apply for Medicaid and you're trying to really protect assets, a great tool to use is the re irrevocable trust, okay? So the irrevocable trust, you are the grantor, the person who creates the trust, but you are not the trustee of that trust, okay? You or your spouse cannot be the trustee of that trust. You have to appoint a trusted third party, and it could be your loved one, it could be um, you know, a, a family friend, whoever it is. It doesn't have to be an attorney, it doesn't have to be a, a trust manager at a bank, it could be someone very close to you. And typically, the amount of, of control that you have over that trust depends on the relationship that you have with that trustee. But it's important to understand that that trustee manages the trust for you, okay? So, why use an irrevocable trust? Well, anything that you put into that trust no longer counts as an asset for you if you're trying to qualify for Medicaid. So if you've pre-planned and put assets in that trust, then none of those assets will count against you Okay, if you try to qualify for Medicaid or some other type of government benefit to pay for long-term care. Also, all of those assets will likewise pass outside of probate immediately to your beneficiaries and no liens can be attached, including Medicaid liens. 
because if Medicaid pays out, they will want to try to get that money back. And probate is the only opportunity for them to do that, okay? So those are the two extremes when it comes to trust. A revocable trust, a trust where you have all control and less protection, or an irrevocable trust where you have full protection but less control. And many of our clients, many of our clients tend to fit in one of those pots, right? They, they either need a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust, but I'll tell you, not all of our clients fit in either one of those categories. So we've developed something that we're really excited about and we're happy we can offer it to our clients. It's, we try to offer the best of both worlds because we want you to have control and protection. So what we've done is we've created what we call the convertible trust. In the convertible trust, we've also you know, kind of nicknamed it the trigger trust because it's a trust that can convert upon a triggering event. Okay, so the trust would start out revocable. So you have all control over that trust. Okay, any of the assets that are in the trust, you have total control over. But if something were to happen to you, where you become incompetent, incapacitated, maybe you're diagnosed with a debilitating disease or illness, or you're placed in some type of long-term care facility for an indefinite amount of time, or maybe you're incompetent for an indefinite amount of time, that trust would automatically become irrevocable for you and protect those assets. So they remove, um, it removes those assets out of your name for Medicaid purposes and also protects them, okay? So that is what would automatically trigger that trust to become irrevocable. That's not the only thing that could make it irrevocable, right? You could make it irrevocable at any time. We would provide that for you to be able to do, to pull that trigger at any time to make that trust irrevocable so that you can still benefit from the assets that are in the trust through your trustee, but you will also be able to protect those assets and potentially qualify for any type of benefit, whether that's VA pension benefits or Medicaid benefits to pay for your long-term care. And you know, that's, that's just a quick kind of discussion about trust. I know that there's a lot of questions that you might have about trust. Um, they are very unique and very um, interesting and useful tools, okay? And so I'd love to be able to answer those questions, and there's a few ways that we can get some information out to you if you do have questions. Isn't that right, Greg? Sure. Absolutely. So I wanted to, again, thank everybody for coming out. Thank you so much to our staff for coming out. We're going to wrap this up so we can watch Call of the Wild. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to watch Call of the Wild here in a second. So, so but also, I mean, I'm excited about what I do. We're passionate. That's why we wanted to do this. We've been cooped up in the house. You know, we all have been. We wanted to get out and, and do something cool and bring people out to the drive-in and watch a movie, dinner, drive-in and a movie. So I'm extremely excited about what we're doing right now. And uh, Taylor, can we go to the next slide? And so, you know, I'm a very visual person if you haven't figured that out, okay? You know, I can read something. You can tell me something. But if I can see a map of it or a board game almost and I can see how it all works together to get the big picture they say a picture is worth a thousand words if that's true then a map is worth tens of thousands okay it's worth more so what we've done is we mapped out
how we envision and think about estate planning for you and your family. And we've provided, we don't just have the estate planning map that we're showing on the screen right now. We also have a trust planning map that really explains what Brenton was talking about, about the differences between a revocable and irrevocable trust, the advantages. We, we list a place for you to list your goals with that trust. So by the time you've looked and gone through that map, you'll know, I think, which is right for you. Right. The revocable or irrevocable. Maybe neither. Maybe both with the convertible trust. Right. Right? But you'll have some surety there, and you'll be able to do that in the comfort of your own home with you and your family. We'd like to be able to provide that for you tonight. Also, a ladybird deed map. We made a ladybird deed map right. that really shows intricately, exactly, or simply, visually, how they were. Right? I can tell you until I'm blue in the face, but if you can see it, you'll get it the same as I did So when I was mapping it out. So what we did was we published our annual Elder Law Report. We have an annual magazine called the Elder Law Report. You're seeing the front page of the magazine, the Elder Law Report, print edition 2020. Print edition 2020. We want to give you a copy. We've got, we just finished a run of a thousand copies. We're getting those out to financial planners. Any financial planners out there, let us know if you want copies. We'd be glad to get them for your office. We furnished one of the focuses on this one is a change in the law over the last year called the SECURE Act that really changes how you give out your retirement funds after you pass away. I mean, the government can change the law on you and really change how those assets are spent out. So we, we really highlight that SECURE Act and uh, you know the changes in the law and how it affects your retirement being spent out. That's one of the focal articles. Brent wrote a great article in there on convertible trust that really explains convertible trust. Every single map that I just mentioned, the estate planning map, the ladybird deed map, and the trust map are in the, uh, the section in that magazine called The Simple Magic of Maps. And we start with foundational documents. So you can really take that magazine as a resource, and I have some copies right here, okay? And we have more copies for you. You could take this and start with your foundational work and go all the way to trust planning. Learn about new changes in the law and estate planning over the last year. Read the article about four ways to plan your estate plan. I really like your article on last will and testament where you have an infographic in sections that, that are say six steps to writing your will, right? right. The steps to writing your will, there's six of them. So this magazine, I want to give you a copy of this magazine as well as a thank you for coming to our one and only dinner, seminar, and a movie tonight. But wait, there's more. Also, I spent a couple of years writing a book. I've written several. This is one on estate planning and elder law that also goes, it's a deeper dive than even the magazine on each one of those foundational documents, trust planning, Medicaid crisis planning. And the reason it took me two years to write it was because we were waiting for interviews from experts literally from around the country, like Tifa Snow on Alzheimer's and dementia. There's a great interview, probably one of the things I'm the most proud of is the 30 minute interview I did with Tifa Snow on Alzheimer's and dementia in that, that back and forth discussion 
And, and a lot of that has formed the way we write healthcare powers of attorney and the need to have that mental health component reference those statutes, right? So I just learned so much dealing with experts in their field about their respective, um, I guess, area of focus. And that comes through in saving the farm. A, a practical guide to the legal maze of aging in America. Spent two years on that, six months editing it, and literally tens of thousands of dollars bringing it to you. You can feel free to order the audiobook or the book for 20 bucks, I think, on Amazon. Um, or um, you can buy it. I think we're going to have a, a, a booth at the concession stand after this. But I'd love to be able to give it to you for free. I want to give you all the estate planning maps within the Elder Law Report and a copy of my book, Saving the Farm, which I'd be glad to autograph for you at the concession stand if you want to bring it up. And we have some, some of our staff that are here tonight that are going to go car to car and say hello. They have packets of the Elder Law Report magazine as well as the Saving the Farm books. And they're going to offer you also, we generally charge a consult fee. That's right. During this time, and because you came to this seminar tonight, we are going to waive that consult fee also, okay? So we're going to do the Elder Law Report, we're going to waive our standard consult fee, and we're going to give you an autographed book of Saving the Farm if you sign up for a consultation tonight, okay? So if you'll sign up for the consultation tonight, we'd be glad to see you um, and make time out of our schedule to see you when it's convenient for you. Right now, due to what's going on, we're offering consultations by in-person, phone, or video conference. We do video conferences all the time. If you can't tell, we're pretty good with video. We have an easy system that you click a link in an email and you're just on a video conference with us. It's really easy. So our team members would be glad to set you up with any one of those types of consults and they're going to bring around the Elder Law Report and Saving the Farm. And thank you so much team for being here. Thank you everyone for being here. Brenton, if you want to say sign off and say goodbye to them, thank, thank you for being here. I Absolutely. You know, we love you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. We love for you guys to have a copy of the magazine, the Elder Law Report. We're very proud of it. Um, it's the first edition that we've um, you know, cranked out, and um, we would also love for you guys to have a copy of the book. We're very proud of that as well, and we think it's our civic duty at this time to waive our consult fee to sit down with each and every one of you, your family members, and whoever else you want to bring, whether that's video, whether that's over the phone, whether that's in person, we'll even meet you in the parking lot and talk to you there. So we would love to talk to you, um, and we feel like it's our civic duty to do that for you, waive that consult fee, and also provides you with any and all the information that you may need. Again, thank you for coming, and I hope you enjoy the movie that's coming up. All right, guys, thank you. Call the Wilds, coming up next. All right, I know they're coming around. And uh, hit the light setting. Let's look at it. This is the coolest thing ever. Look at that. Can't see me, you can see all that. So call the wilds coming up next, guys. Get your refreshment. There'll be a short intermission, and then we're going to call of the wild. Thanks so much for coming to our first.
and only, probably on planet Earth, dinner, seminar, and a movie at a drive-in theater for estate planning. Plug this mic, yeah. Um, check this out. Um, Ooh, that was cool. Hey, turn, turn the mic on. Dude, how? Oh. Can you, you want me to turn the mic? Did you get a video of that? Yes. That little light drop? Dude, that, had, that was so much fun. That was cool. Yeah, I mean. The camera's down. Hey, just unplug it. Unplug it. Unplug it. Unplug Face on the TV for a while. How cool was that? That's awesome. Good. Can I turn it off now? It was a lot of fun. Tell me to keep it going until you said to stop. Uh, <laughs> just keep it here. Yeah, that's what he said. What's up? Very good. You done? It's like a documentary. That's okay. It's like a mini documentary, yeah. Like The Office? Yeah. I can film The Office in real life. I think you could. That's what we're doing, kind of. Yeah. That's what I've been doing for years. You put a GoPro on you and strap it to your head while you're in the office. Yeah, you look back at some of those Facebook videos back in the day. It wasn't, let me see it. It wasn't you like you are right now. You weren't the tall, skinny dude. You were, or not that you're skinny, you're, you're, you're buff, right? You were, uh, you were a lot smaller. Good job, Jordan. Thank you for, thank you for filming. Tucker, thank you very much. Thank you for, Tucker filmed the, the part of the video that was up there, me and Britton, um, that was live video. And then Jordan did the recording. So thank you very much, I appreciate that. Jordan and Tucker doing some work for us while they're off from school and doing a great job. Doing an absolutely great job. What's that? Oh, that's right. Tucker, have you finished yet? Almost over? Okay, almost over. But Jordan's finished up. Jordan is studying for the LSAT. There's the man right there. Thanks for letting us do this, yeah, man. No You're the man. And this is the coolest thing ever. So getting right into it, we are about helping people, okay? And I also like doing presentations. So if you have a question tonight during our presentation, please text us. Text Taylor at 704. Back in 
entire album of 